Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. Tonight's films feature triple the Iron Man and Thor for the price of two, which is nothing. week adam thomas and thomas mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature then both will have to pick a number between one and ten in order to seal their fates for the next episode one will have two good movies the other two bad ones let the chaos begin i am adam thomas and i am thomas mariani and i knew you were adam thomas you know why adam because we're connected not really oh it's a sentimental episode. There's a, there's a lot of emotions going around, and the biggest one of all being, of course, the fact that uh, we have a special guest with us today, and this is a guest I've wanted to have on for the nearly a year that we've been doing the show. I've been trying to get this guest on, but he's elusive, and you know, just we can't quite find him. He's like the Mandarin. He just pops up occasionally and scrambles our feeds. But now we got him for an entire episode here. It is Mr. Ryan Quarterman, Ryan, how are you this evening? Oh, it's been great, guys. Have a good night. All right, bye, everybody. <laughs> like a bird, you have to set him free. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm good. How are you, man? Uh, oh, we're pretty good. I mean, because, uh, Ryan, I don't know if you know this, but we've been doing this for nearly a year at this yeah. point. And uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're celebrating here. It's the end of our first year. It's a season finale, as it were. But there's not going to be like a summer break that we're going to do an episode next week because we're endlessly bankrupt of any free time for anything else, really. Yeah, that's, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. That's, what we, that's what we usually do. Um, but I wanted to have you on this particular episode, since this is our first time revisiting Marvel, uh, since that was our very first episode, was about Marvel films. Can you believe it, Adam? Over a year ago we did that. How time flies, right? Yeah, I don't know. I, I have literally felt every second. Miserable experience all 52 <laughs> yeah. weeks. Just yeah. a bitter, miserable experience every time. Awful. Yes, and uh, I, I want to invite you on this one, especially, Ryan, because you're a fan of especially the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is our topic in honor of Avengers Endgame coming out. You like to dish out the hot takes about oh, yeah, Marvel, I especially. Hot I got hot takes for days. My takes are the hottest. Well, what are some of the examples of hot takes that maybe aren't related to our two movies today? But you, you have you have some hot takes in general about like Marvel overall. What what you got? Dish them. Well, well, for instance, I think Age of Ultron is the sex offender of the Marvel universe. It's just bad and dirty, and I hate that it's anywhere near the rest of the series. I hate. Well, I won't say I hate, but I really dislike Black Panther. Let's see. Forget most of them. They're all pretty average. <laughs> my, my favorite thing that I've read about the Marvel Universe is it's like most of the series is just fine and Black Panther is the one that like everyone loves. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, those are all your opinions and you have the right to them, obviously. Um, by the way, you dropped your white hood on the way over to the recording studio. I think you need to No, dude, it's... I... <laughs> Cyan Rorderman, yes. That, that, that's yes. it. Of course, of course. Um, But no, but you still have generally liked at least most of these movies right oh yeah i mean like i i like to bitch about them a lot but i mean i still go to all of them i still am clearly invested enough to 
to have even remotely close to like a hot take regarding it so i mean it would be unfair to say i don't care about it at some degree well right yeah and they're such a unique franchise especially because it's just like there have been in the last 10 years there have been what 21 films or something like that how many of there's, there's so many <laughs> it's I insane it's 22, isn't it I, I, think, I think I think I think so. With yeah. Endgame, it's twenty two. Yeah. So yeah, and yeah. it's weird to think, Adam. In the time since we've started the show, there have been like three more of them. <laughs> I know it's so, ridiculous. I know, and we could have covered Marvel again in that any amount of time. Even like yeah, there's also like Deadpool two and Venom, not even counting. We could have covered Marvel previously, but we wanted to save it for something special, like this anniversary sort of show. But are are you you're a bit more familiar with the comics, Adam? So would you say you're a fan of the cinematic universe they've been building uh yeah i mean yeah for the most part i'm a little fatigued right now uh from the marvel cinematic universe just because they've become so formulaic where it's the same fucking beats pretty much in all of them now yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah, i'm (laughs) sort of dying off on it to be honest there's just too much and yeah well, it's interesting because I remember, obviously, when Iron Man came out in 2008, which we previously discussed on our very first episode, the first Iron Man, and just being wowed by the idea of, like, oh, wow, all the superheroes are coming together. And more as it's gone along, I've just become more fatigued, less with just, like, Marvel in general, more just the cinematic universe angle of it. Like, with Endgame coming out, I'm honestly just like, okay, I'm fine with, like, we're probably going to have some people killed off or whatever, but... I would kind of like more stuff like, honestly, quite frankly, the two movies that we're covering today, where you have sort of more of like a director's spin on these properties, and it feels a bit more, you know, secured in its own space with references to some of the other people in the universe. I think something that, like, honestly, DC is starting to do now with, like, Shazam and some of these other things. I would hope Uh Marvel kind of takes that step after Endgame, does its billions of dollars, and they can kind of like, okay, let's cool it a bit, let's not maybe have a huge crossover event for five years as opposed to, like, two in a row <laughs> one year after the other. Let's let's, yeah. let's calm down a bit on that and just have, like, you know, just more interesting character pieces and maybe also less movies that are entirely devoted to setting up stuff for these crossover movies, which we'll talk about as well, I'm, I'm assuming, as we keep going on here. But um, the nature of our show is that we do a good and a bad feature that was picked at the end of the previous episode. Um, and our good pick is uh, your pick, Adam, of Thor Ragnarok from 2017, the third Thor film, and then my bad pick, technically, is Iron Man 3 from 2013, which is a bit nebulous, because it's definitely the most divisive of the movies in the cinematic universe so far. Uh, yeah, I think so. And I don't think Ryan Hayton on uh, Age of Ultron's a hot take. That movie's fucking shitty. Oh, God, I love you more already. It's yeah, so... <laughs> Age of Ultron is just a garbage film. But, like, it, go, going back to what you said about feeling fatigued by Marvel, that was me basically all of Phase 2. I was so done for so fucking long. And I don't think I came out of it until after Ant-Man. I was like, yeah, all right. I really like Ant-Man, but my 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 bar is so low. And then by Phase 3 starting, I've pretty consistently at least enjoyed most of their films. There's still some that I think are, are, are very weak, but they're weak against much more interesting, you know, films. Not just plain bad like Age of Ultron was. 
Well, because honestly, like, the, that was the thing when doing the bad pick of, like, an Iron Man 3, because I, I, spoilers, I actually genuinely like Iron Man 3, and the thing is, with, with that, um, I, I kind of did just because it is more divisive, and just, the bad movies in this universe are more just kind of forgettable movies. They're not excruciatingly awful, but they're just kind of, like, trifles that we wouldn't have much to discuss about, quite frankly. Like, oh man, Incredible Hulk is a movie. Or right. <laughs> Iron or Man the Two, Thor: The Dark World is not that good. Or <laughs> Iron Man Two is right. messy. There's not a lot to talk about there. <laughs> Versus with you know, there's a lot to talk about with both of these movies here for sure. So let's get started with our first feature, uh, the first of two of the third entries in different franchises within this this, this whole franchise that we're going to be covering today. Uh, Thor: Ragnarok. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what you've come for. It's main event time. Oh, I've missed this. I'm putting together a team. This team of yours, has it got a name? Yeah, it's called the Revengers. Revengers? Yeah, I mean, we don't have to have a name. We could have no name. So, Thor Ragnarok, uh, which came out November 3rd, 2017, as I mentioned, it's the third film in the Thor franchise within the Marvel Cinematic Universe franchise, and um, it's directed by Taika Waititi, who sort of broke out with the sensation of uh, what we do in the shadows, the cult favorite that is still quite popular, even now as a TV show that's spun off of it. It's interesting because the Thor franchise is always sort of like the, I guess, blonde-headed stepchild of these MCU movies with like the first Thor, I give a lot of credit for at least introducing the concept and making it palpable for an audience. And I think it's still a good movie, not a very, you know, much more than that necessarily. It's fine. It does a good job of establishing Thor. Just like the, I think the first Captain America movie kind of did, I would argue. Um, and then Thor, the dark world as we kind of referenced is kind of, bleh. and this was the one though, that sort of broke the mold and made Thor fun and crazy and a bit more Flash Gordon-y. And that uh, really resonated with people when it came out a few years ago. You know, it's funny. I'd say closest movie since in comparison, I would probably throw maybe even like Shazam up there. This refreshed me a little bit towards the MCU just because it's so completely different than anything that they've done. It's basically like a buddy movie, you know, with Thor and the Hulk. And then you just get great side characters and the, the art design and costuming and everything just so fantastic. And I'm kind of a sucker for really anything Taika Waititi does anyways. So I think I was probably destined to like this movie. Basically from the moment I started, I, I took notes while watching each film. My first three notes are opening is brilliant. This opening is all I could ever want in a movie and then number three was Mrs. Ryan Hemsworth. It's just, <laughs> it's all fucking good. Like, everything from the effects to just, like, the minor details in the background, it's vibrant. It's it's just full of fun dialogue and really cool action. And it's, it's really spectacularly shot, too. Like, a lot of these Marvel movies can get a, a tad stale uh and and even more so with a lot of them being indie directors going in some of them just don't know how to shoot action very well but taika waititi shoots the action in this movie so fucking well and it's tons of 
like beautiful wide shots with lots of like cool effects and colors and weird monsters and shit. Because many of these Marvel movies have tried to say, like, oh, we're a Marvel movie, but we're secretly sort of this backdoor thing that we're kind of referencing. Like, Captain America, the Winter Soldier is just like, oh, you know, it's kind of like a 70s conspiracy political thriller. Kind of. <laughs> it kind of is that. But really, it's way more of a Marvel movie than it is that. And I think this one actually works because Taika Waititi talked about his biggest inspiration while making this was something like A Big Trouble in Little China. And you can tell, and I think that feels a lot more of, like, that kind of inspiration coming through, because it has a lot more weird details, and Thor doesn't treat himself as that seriously uh, hero character, which even Chris Hemsworth talked about. I saw an article recently that said he was kind of looking back on his career as Thor in anticipation of Endgame, and sort of said, pre-Ragnarok, he kind of felt like the character was stuck in a stalemate, which is true, because, I mean, I like... Thor in the earlier movies. I think especially in the first Thor and the first Avengers, I think he works perfectly for what he is. And I think it's, um, you know, I sort of like, you know, Shakespeare on the park to quote Tony Stark in the Avengers (laughs) kind of thing where he's got like a Shakespearean tone, but he does have some humor to him. There's fun there. But after that, I think they did definitely kind of like keep him in a rut, unfortunately. And this really kickstarted, especially because this is coming off of even the 2016 Ghostbusters, which people have obviously very diverse opinions about that movie too but one of the standouts was Chris Hemsworth in that movie being really funny and I think he's an incredibly charmingly funny guy that really is displayed here right from as you mentioned Ryan the opening is so goddamn great where it's just he's talking to a goddamn skeleton (laughs) 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 about all the trials and tribulations he's been going on when he makes Surtur wait so he can complete the turn oh yeah (laughs) son of Odin son of a bitch (laughs) Right, yeah, there's a lot more fun he's having with the character as things go along, and even this has some of, like, I think the best comedic stuff in the MCU ever. I think particularly the bit later on when they're on Sakaar and he throws the ball and it hits him directly in the face is a 10 out of 10 pratfall. Amazing. Wonderful. (laughs) You could point to almost any scene in this film, and there's at least some, if not laugh-out-loud joke, really solid chuckle-worthy joke. <laughs> oh, yeah, I agree. I, the Bifrost allows me to go anywhere I want, so I could, <laughs> so behold. But I love the part where Jeff Goldblum is uh, uh, talking, he's like, that seductive Lord of Thunder, and then he's like, that seductive God of Thunder! Uh, but yeah, honestly, you already brought him up, so I'm gonna get into it a little bit. Real MVP is Jeff Goldblum. Yes! He crushes this movie so much. <laughs> no, don't use that word! Okay, the prisoners with jobs. Right, because, I mean, admittingly, they cast Jeff Goldblum perfectly as, like, an aloof lord of a planet that has entertainment as sort of its main um, interest, and with, like, these gladiatorial battles and stuff like that. He fits perfectly in that scenario where it's just like, oh, just put some blue paint on him and give him a weird gold robe. And it's, it's yep. not that different from other Jeff... My, my favorite Jeff Goldblum bit is the bit where he talks about, you know, time works differently here. I uh, could be thousands of years old on Earth, but here I'm... <laughs> <laughs> he just looks around as a patient. It's so great. When Tessa Thompson touches his face. <laughs> and he just smiles. I like uh in even the, the post credit scene where he's he shows up and he's just like, Look, you know, we, we both did our part. Without me there'd be no one to overthrow, so good job everybody, teamwork. <laughs> it's a it's a tie. <laughs> <laughs> the tie, yeah. 
<laughs> That's the problem, unfortunately, with covering Thor Ragnarok, is it's so good that a lot of this might just end up being, hey, remember that part? It was pretty fine. I mean, honestly, it's anytime I talk to somebody about this movie, when you try to describe it, you sort of spiral off into a bit. Because every scene, like Ryan mentioned, there's some kind of comedic bit to it. I will say, to maybe bring up a criticism with the movie, probably my sure. biggest issue with the movie is the fact that, as much as I think you know, so much of it hits so well, I do think there's also this weird tonal balance the movie's trying to do that I think it's not so much on the fault of this movie as much as on the other Thor movies and just building up Asgard and whatever. It's just that, like, this also has to balance, like, oh, hey, by the way, Thor's homeworld is, like, dying, so also yeah. we have to treat some of this kind of seriously, but also we don't, like, it's where we're the script, it seems, which this wasn't written by Watiti, but the thing is the actors apparently said, oh, yeah, we improvised a lot of the dialogue. Which seems obviously very natural here. At the same time, the script seems to also be concerned with like, but what about Asgard and all these people that you knew to grew in love dying? And you're like, did we though? Right, yeah. <laughs> hey guys, like remember the- Hella? Remember Hella? Here she is. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's also a problem. It's just that, like, obviously, these movies have had a problem with, like, villains, necessarily. I think Kate Blanchett is giving it her all in this part yeah. that's not quite that interesting. Um, but she has this, like, sort of sleek, seductive, very engrossing performance in a character that mostly is there to give exposition. I like some of the ideas that are brought up with her character, though, about, like, oh, hey, Odin was this, like, affable god who was Thor's father, but he outcasted me after I became too big for my britches and trying to take over people, which he wanted me to do. That's interesting. I wish they maybe explored that more as opposed to just, like, throw it off to exposition and just have her kind of like, I'm sitting on a throne and Carl Urban be my executioner. Though, then again... Not to be crass, but damn, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is probably the best she's looked. I'll give you that. <laughs> hey, I don't... hey, come on, Carol, dude. Carol all the way, true. Carol's yeah. so hot. <laughs> Carol's the sexiest movie of the year it came out. Won every Oscar, don't even worry about it. Okay, okay you're right, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but do you share some of those concerns, Ryan, that I was bringing up? No, not at all. Well then, okay. Uh, <laughs> moving on. I, the, the thing about Asgard is, like, I think we got enough of it with the first two films that, like, we understand its importance, but I, we don't need much more to it than what we're we're working with already. And I would much rather just delve into watching, you know, Thor interacting with this weird environment he's in than, you know have to go back and like really focus in on taking it seriously we we know it needs to happen we know that the prophecy's got to be fulfilled and it it's just it, it gets to where it's going it doesn't need to dwell on it but I think that's kind of the problem is that like I almost wish they had just kind of taken care of Asgard far earlier even like because we keep also cutting back to like oh look Idris Elba is with all the people trying to get out of here mm. like who gives a shit <laughs> just like <laughs> if anything if they had just had like Hela invade and like almost destroy Asgard like 20 minutes in or so when she comes and just destroyed Asgard and maybe all the people got out of there somehow and we kind of moved on with it I think would have been a bit more interesting than just having to keep going back to Asgard. Because I agree, the thing is, I think Watiti has such little interest in Asgard, because those are the only scenes that feel kind of, like, very plainly shot. Versus when we're on Sakaar, as Adam kind of mentioned, the production design and the costume design and the creature design is so vibrant and so 
just like covered in all sorts of different multicolors. It's just like, I want to go back to there though, the trash planet. The trash planet looks more fun than like Asgard, which I love. There's a line that Mark Ruffalo says to Bruce Banner, which is like, oh, you know, I wish it'd be nicer just on fire here. It's just that was kind of my thought every time I went back to Asgard. Like, I guess it'd probably be nicer. I'm like, can we go back to the trash planet? Luckily, the stuff on Sakaar and everything is so vibrant and fun that the Asgard stuff doesn't really bog it down too much because it definitely could. Um, it's just stereotypical mustache-twirling villain bullshit. And I don't care about Heimdall or any of that. You know, Carl or Bond's the only fun part of the whole Asgard thing. But yeah, I mean, it's unnecessary. I almost, you know, you almost find yourself forgetting that it's happening. During while he's on Sakaar, you almost completely forget that. Oh yeah, he's trying to fight Hela or whatever the hell. I, uh, but it doesn't really bother me too much. It's just kind of boring, right? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Especially the Carl Urban thing. He is definitely the best part of those Asgard scenes because he has the most sort of subtle, interesting character arc of the whole movie. Where he mm-hmm. usually starts off as like this guy who's just like, oh, look at my stuff, like you were talking about. And slowly it becomes more and more about him realizing, like, oh man, maybe I shouldn't be such a selfish dick and should actually care about like the people around me because I'm faced with the idea of actually having some power and potentially killing them and I don't want to do it. Man, Carl Urban deserves so much better than what he usually gets. He 100% <laughs> does, dude. Yeah, he is really fun, dude. Especially where he does have a little comedic flair to him. He's incredibly funny. But I mean, come on, dude. Matt Damon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did it for you. I love that. The, the singers. <laughs> that whole fucking play scene is so great just because of Anthony Hopkins just like like reading the lines with them. And then, and then as soon as he sees Thor, just, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> right, because like, even in like, because Anthony Hopkins had said like he did really want to come back to do another Thor movie, but he read the script. It's like, oh, I could have a bit more fun with at least that scene because he's being disguised as Loki and you know I'll also say just not to be the the party pooper on this movie necessarily but I really like Tom Hiddleston I mean I'm all about the Hiddles obviously Uh, but at the same time this was the movie where I really realized just like I'm kind of over Loki I think yes 100% yeah, because, you know, it's apparently, I'm not a huge comics reader, but I know Loki and Thor apparently have this, like, constant back and forth with, like, oh, I'm going to, like, backstab you all that. The movie even makes fun of that in, the, in here. <laughs> not really, though, dude. In the comics, he's more or less just a straight-up villain. There's not a lot of redemption arcs to Loki at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so they definitely added that for this character. You know, they started it really in Dark World, which... That's when I was like, okay, enough. This is the third movie with this fucking guy now. And, uh, yeah, I agree. And this one, Hiddleston, he's kind of just going through the paces in this one, I'd argue. I don't know, but he yeah. still has a lot of, like, I think he embraces the comedic stuff, because I think he's a great actor. And I think oh, yeah, he, he's really He good. does do it, especially just the bit where Thor looks over at Hulk, and he's just like, hey, Loki, you remember him? And he just has that face. It's so perfect. Just like, oh, God. I need to leave this planet. This planet. <laughs> yeah. I right, love like, when Thor when Thor first sees him, but no, he's you know trying to deny that he even knows him, but that eventually he just just accept, yeah, yeah, where he's I'm adopted. Like he just goes, <laughs> like he just stops denying it. It's perfect. No, he does have a lot of quite quite a few good scenes. Like I I do like the whole you know where he interrupts him and she hands him the melting stick, 
<laughs> you know, and he's like, he interrupted me. It's not a capital offense. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> right, right, yeah. But at the same time, I do really hope because I mean, we should we should mention this at the top. But uh, this is coming out after Endgame, but we haven't seen Endgame at the time of recording, so we don't know what depths have been backtracked from Infinity War or anything like that. I yes. do hope we just don't get more of Loki. I think his time is kind of like run out. I think I we're agree. good on Loki. I think we're good on Loki. I think we're yeah. good on Heimdall. I think we're good on Vision. I think we're good on most of the ones who passed away prior to the snap. Yes. <laughs> but I have a feeling we're going to get them all back in some capacity. But, but no, Adam, we need more Volstack. We love Volstack. He ate a lot. <laughs> Volstack's the best. <laughs> well, you're not getting what's his fucking name back. Is it Zachary Levi? Right, Farindale, because they, they recast him for Thor the Dark World and no one noticed. Because it was <laughs> no. some other fuck in the first Thor movie and no one cared. Nobody gave a shit. <laughs> where, by the way, where the fuck is Sif? Oh, um, she was, like, on a mission, according to Kevin Feige. Jamie Alexander was apparently doing her show Blind Spot, which is a show that I forgot was a show. Because <laughs> I remember the first... Oh, like, that's before she's got the tattoos and shit. Yeah, yeah, where they found her. That's one of those shows where, like, I thought it was canceled in the first season, but actually turns out it's been running for, like, ten years. One of those shows. fuck? I know. Who's watching this? I don't fuck. grandparents. (laughs) (laughs) Like, only old people, dude. (laughs) It's just like, what's the James Spader show that's still running? uh, Blacklist. Blacklist. Yeah, Yeah, that's also been running for, like, fucking eight years. I'm like, what the fuck? People are still watching that? (laughs) I don't know, that's, that's indicated television, though, I guess. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind if Sif maybe came back, because she was the one of those Warriors 3 that we kind of gave a shit about, almost, but not quite, at the same yeah. time. Uh, um, but, but yeah, th- in any case, um, I, I still, at the same time, I do agree, despite some of those issues they have with sort of, like, carrying over things, it's only, I think with both of these movies we're talking about, they are both kind of victims of, like, the cinematic universe angle of this franchise kind of hurting them later on. Cause like, I really like the, how basically it ends up with like, Hey, you know, Asgard is a people. We don't necessarily need to be on Asgard as a, like a planet or whatever. We can be together and united cut to an opening of infinity war and half of them are dead. (laughs) (laughs) This is a recurring problem. I think with these movies, just whenever we get to the big crossover events, they kind of negate, the development that these other movies do in these individual franchises, especially. I don't even know that half of them died. I think they all died. Well, I know that um, Tessa Thompson's coming back, and also Korg oh, is coming true. back. Yes, and well, oh god, yeah, let's get to Korg. Fuck yeah, let's <laughs> talk about Korg. <laughs> Korg is Bay. <laughs> he is the best. He's so oh, Gamma pulled you off. <laughs> oh, he kills me in this movie. He he made me laugh so hard when I first saw this. Just just the. You know, piss off, ghost. I just, I love the juxtaposition with him of, like, he is this giant burly rock creature, which we've seen in, like, even previous Thor movies. Yeah. It's just like, oh, man, he's a big giant rock creature. He's like, hello. He's got this real sweet voice, and he's kind of a simpleton. And I love, can, can, can we just say, I love the fact that not only does he have a mom somewhere, but she's got a boyfriend that he hates. Oh, yeah! <laughs> I saw the revolution, but I didn't have enough pamphlets. I, yeah, I didn't put out enough pamphlets, so only my mom came with a boyfriend who I hate. That creature's mom is dating. That's a great example of like what I really love about Watiti's movies with both like What We Do in the Shadows and also Hunt for the Wilder People, which is supremely yeah. underrated and needs to be seen by more people. Um, is he is a master at what great comedy should do, which is like the 
jokes are there and they're very funny, but also they do develop the characters at the same time. That's why, like, some of my weak, my few weak jokes, I think, are in the movie are the ones that are just kind of there to lighten up a depressing moment. Like, even Korg has that at the end with, like, you know, we have the foundation. If that foundation's still here, then we can build it back up. And then the planet explodes. <laughs> like, that, that's yeah. one of the few jokes I really don't quite like, just because it's just like, we could have just let this be a moment, necessarily, and we I had agree. to cut it with a joke. Like, those, there are a few moments like that, but stuff like, I agree, like, Korg kind of building up, especially the kinship he builds up with, uh, like, what's his little bug friend, Leek? Meek. Meek. <laughs> yeah, Meek. I, Meek. I love the, their friendship where he's even talking about, like, are those, like, droppings or are those eggs? Oh, no, Meek's dead. Yeah, I stepped on one on the Rainbow Bridge. I've been carrying him around all day because I'm guilty. Oh no, he's alive! I'm sorry, what were you saying, bro? <laughs> <laughs> right, but like, it, they, those jokes still oh. at the same time help build up the character. And I think that's even the same thing with, like, say, I real we were talking off mic Adam after we chose these, yes. about how, like, you apparently had some issue with Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie. I just don't believe it. She doesn't come across as a hard-ass to me at all. In the comedic parts with her, I think she's gold. But she doesn't come across as any kind of a hard ass to me and it just seems forced i don't think they're quite going for hard ass i think that's part of the act that she's portraying is that she wants to come off as a hard she's ass she's a valkyrie she's a warrior woman she's supposed to be a badass well no, she i i don't think that necessarily means that she like, like despite being i agree like she's a warrior woman at the same time i think she is putting up more of a front throughout this movie because she's wounded because she doesn't want to actually hold up like she is vulnerable at all. She wants to put up an artifice around herself. And I think that kind of plays into what you're talking about, honestly. is that I think she is trying to make up an act here at the same time. When really, she is a mess. She's a hot mess. Which I think is yeah. so great when like she comes up and she's like drinking and then she falls over. But even the just the small bit of like realistic world building in the middle of this big Sakaar world. Where like she puts on the virtual reality gloves for her ship. And they kind of uh-huh. fuck up. And then she like... Fonzies them, she hits them, and then she gets them back up and going and hits everybody. I think that's all part of her character in this movie, is she is kind of putting on something that's a bit of an artifice more, but when you get to know her a bit more, she's kind of like a fun-loving party girl who's damaged at the same time. And I think she portrays that really well. Do you agree with that, Ryan? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, even in the smaller moments, like when she's in Hulk's, like, house room thing (laughs) and she's just like wrestling around with hulk and like being silly she's i never really got the impression they were going just strictly hard ass i i felt like you know and and just because she was tough it didn't necessarily mean that she wasn't vulnerable and also a human and capable of feeling kind of silly and joyful and ridiculous and and they do kind of address her pain at one point and her potential drinking problem when Thor's like you should probably stop drinking and she's like oh I don't want to stop drinking and you know we should talk about of course we kind of mentioned Hulk obliquely here because I I think what I love so much about this movie especially is I think we've seen Hulk throughout so many iterations even prior to MCU we've seen Hulk just like rumbling around this is the first time hulk himself not bruce banner but hulk feels like an actual character which i was so glad to see in this movie that was the (laughs) biggest highlight for me it's just the fact that there are scenes where hulk is just in like his naked in his room which is great (laughs) um and he he feels kind of like a temperamental teenager even child like i love there's a bit where um he's 
talking to Thor, and Thor is like, look, you gotta, like, actually, like, team up with me. He's like, no, uh, Hulk by himself, Hulk on his own. And he kind of, like, throws his arms around, like, ugh. And that feels like <laughs> such a, like, realistic moment of character for Hulk that's never been portrayed before. And I, I think that especially works. And I think helps the fact that this is the, f- it's the first time he's portrayed the character, both in terms of, like, voice and also the motion capture. Mm-hmm. together and I think that really helps because I think Ruffalo as crazy as Bruce Banner which is obviously fun as um, this he also gets to be Hulk in a more consistent way and he isn't just like doing voiceover like Lou Ferrigno isn't doing voiceover his motion capture or whatever and I think that really helps aid the performance because it feels like him and Banner are one and the same especially a shot I forgot about that's really dope in this movie is when he looks back at the security cam footage of him and the Quinjet yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and his his reflection melds with the Hulk face. Yes. I love that bit so much. That's a great visual bit. So good. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, he definitely is like a spoiled preteen. You know, even the point where, you know, Thor's pleading him for help. He's like, you know, I need you to help me stop Ragnarok. He's like, Ragnarok. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then find Thor finally. He's like, fine, I'll just go on myself. You be Hulk. And he fucking freaks out, destroys the death. <laughs> It's just perfect. No, he's great, dude. I, I love the Hulk in this movie. Dude, what a great comedic bit, though, when he jumps out of the fucking ship and hits the Bifrost. It's <laughs> <laughs> just perfect. Just, and, the, and the wolf just, like, stops and looks yeah. at him. He fucking slaps and bounces. But, no, I agree. This was the first time the Hulk was more than just a, uh, I guess, just basically a weapon. Like, he actually has personality that's, not just anger. Yeah. Like, I, I agree. I, I really, really dug this iteration of the Hulk. I'm very nervous as to what I've seen and heard about the the Hulk in the new movie. Uh, yeah. I, I don't like it, but we'll see. I, I fucking love Hulk. I, I love every moment with Hulk. I, I love when Hulk is naked because he's thick as hell. I love when... <laughs> I love when Hulk fucking is talking to Thor, and he's like, Hulk, sorry. He just, he's so mad all the time. And then, like, there's just so many beautiful moments of Hulk being this adorable, goofy monster man. And then, like, you even get wonderful scenes of them making fun of Banner together. <laughs> with Thor just like, oh, I don't want to hang out with Banner. He's all, ooh, I do numbers. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, Hulk, giant raging fire. Yeah. Thor, little small baby. Smoldering fire. Yeah. No, but honestly, my, my favorite bit between Hulk and Thor and then Hulk and Banner is the recurring bit of just like, you're just using me to get to Banner, or you're just using me to get to Hulk. No, I prefer you. And, yeah, and, oh, that's so good. And then, and then Ruffalo just going like, oh, that's gross. I don't feel good about this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just so glad that Ruffalo got, like, a really consistent job here with the MCU, just especially considering how much that dude's gone through. Like, I didn't know this until recently. Did you know he had a brain tumor in, like, the early 2000s and he stopped acting for a bit? I did. I he, I also know that because of that, he has, like, no hearing in his, I believe it's his left ear. He has, like, uh, some form of facial paralysis as well. Yeah, you can kind of see that, especially since, like, mm-hmm. he's been in the Bruce Banner part. You kind of sound like his left side, there's a bit of that. Um, but he still has so much, like, life and fun in him, especially when um, they're on the ship that they steal from Jeff Goldblum, and it's just like, he uses this for orgies? <laughs> <laughs> Don't touch anything. <laughs> Marvel has a habit 
that this is supposed to come out a lot recently of just like, hey, we're going to do previs on some of these big action sequences. And you can kind of tell in other movies, like Ryan mentioned this, like mostly they get like independent directors who are like, hey, fill in the time between these like big action set pieces we've already planned out. That happens a lot. And I think this movie does the best example of like transitioning into those sequences pretty well. Like even like the big sort of chase fight in Sakaar where they're going to the devil's anus. Uh, which is yes, another great joke. Which is great. Right, but but that, that whole actual, like, sort of Star Wars-y sequence, this is taking what George Lucas did badly in the Star Wars prequels and accomplishing it with so much more vibrancy and character and charm and fun. Yeah. A sequence like that. Yeah, I agree with that, absolutely. Uh, before we wrap up here on this one, I, I want to know, you know, we've already covered a lot of them, but what is your favorite bit or one-liner or something like that in this movie? Uh, Ryan, you go first, our guest, and I'm not stalling at all while I think of one. Yeah, no, Tom, I insist that you go first. <laughs> I I already threw out that I love thick-ass Hulk. I don't know what more I can add to this conversation. <laughs> Check my notes. <laughs> uh, well, let me turn the tables. Adam, what's your favorite bit? <laughs> one of my favorite bits is when they're talking about how Loki always betrays them. You know, those like, yeah, when we were kids, he turned into a snake, and he knows how much I like snakes. So I picked it up to admire it and pet it, and then he was like, ah, and then he stabbed me. I just love the fact that he loves snakes, so he picked it up to admire it. <laughs> I, I think I've mentioned a lot of my favorites, but I want to shout out one specific moment that's it's probably the smallest one, and it feels the most authentically, like, um, improvised bit from Chris Hemsworth, is when he has the shawl over his head and... Uh, Tessa Thompson comes up <laughs> yeah. and it's just like oh you, I can see your face clearly she's like nah if I do this and he slightly covers his face yeah. <laughs> like that's a, that's a great but you know what? I also want to shout out honestly I think one of the best examples like I what I wish the MCU would do moving forward is more of the connecting stuff I wish would just be more like the Doctor Strange scene in here I oh, think that it's perfect. That's yes, a great example of like you just have a character pop up for one sort of sequence. He's there, he's fun, he bounces off the characters pretty well. And it's like, okay, we know who Doctor Strange is, but we don't need to like spend so much time with him necessarily. He's just there, he helps out Thor briefly, and then they move on. I and think that whole scene is full of great bits as well. Including Loki's best bit with just like, I've been falling for thirty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I love when he calls for his hammer the, inside Doctor Strange's house, and you just hear glass breaking. And he gets it, knocks it off. There's glass all over it. Yeah, <laughs> so much shit in there. Well, I like how Doctor Strange keeps making him uh, teleport around with him, and then the last one, he just falls down the stairs. <laughs> I agree, though, Thomas. I think if you're gonna do it, that's the way to do it. In fact, and that's really kind of other than. Um, Scarlett Johansson on the video feed is the callback to Age of Ultron. That's really the only connecting thread. The, their, their references to sun going down as well was pretty cool. Oh, Every yeah. time Which says that. over and over. Yep. And over. <laughs> sun's going down. Come on, sun's going down. He's constantly trying. <laughs> figured out what my favorite bit is. When Thor's talking about, like, oh, I wanted to be a Valkyrie until I learned that they were all women. And then he's like, he keeps going. He's like, I think it's great that we're finally doing that. It's about time. And then just gives a thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) Or even the bit where he's just like, I admire women, not in a creepy way. (laughs) Yeah, that's a a pretty great bit. Um, But yeah, I think we don't want to keep prattling on with repeating bits for too long. So let's go into our final thoughts on Thor Ragnarok. Ryan, start out your final thoughts. It's one of the best Marvel movies easily in my top three. It's so vibrant, so fun. Uh, I know none of us have mentioned it, but the score is fucking fantastic. Mark Mothersbaugh, uh, y'all. Uh, it's 
it just it's everything you could want in a fun action-packed buddy comedy it's 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 great it's perfect yeah, I, I agree with like the the score thing, especially because most of the Marvel movies don't have distinctive scores at all, and this is one of the few that does. It, it's really great, yeah. John Carpenter kind of synthy score. Yeah, I, I do agree yeah. with that. But Adam, your final thoughts on Thor Ragnarok? Oh, I pretty much agree. I think this is just a perfect blend of action and comedy um, with you know the sci-fi tinge. There's not really one person in the movie that's cringeworthy as far as performance. I think Jeff Goldblum turns in probably what his best performance in years where he actually gives a shit. And I, I just think it's all around. It, it shows really what Chris Hemsworth is capable of as well. You know, the big muscly action star, but just so funny and just can play so stupid and egotistical so well. I just think this is opening scene, you know, with the uh, immigrant song to the, the perfect wrap up with the immigrant song. It's, it's just, it's a damn near perfect Marvel movie. That I have, like I said, my issues with that are sort of more, like I said, connecting to these other movies. I think it obviously has some issues just with what was set up and what comes after. But I think even on its own, it does a great job of being like a fun, as we mentioned, very vibrant looking, gorgeous example of like how to do like a fun sci-fi comedy within the Marvel formula. I think it's a great example of that. And even, I think it also does a great job of even building on sort of the main character arc, at least of Thor, in these other movies where he's obviously been so much more pompous here. I like the fact that he gets a bit more of a new lease on life that obviously has a lot to do with Chris Hemsworth and can do more fun stuff, but at the same time he takes a bit more responsibility. And I, I think that actually really works for just Thor's character arc over these movies pretty well. I think it sort of crescendos that in an interesting way, but at the same time, I would love to see more Thor if it's in this vein, maybe not with Taika Waititi necessarily, but if at least it has this sort of similar kind of style of fun, charm, and weird sci-fi space shit, I think it could uh, do a really great job um, with continuing the character in a more interesting light, and uh, that's, that's all we can really ask for, but... Now, let's go to um, a movie that maybe does a better job of even completing a certain character storyline, I would argue, with uh, 2013's Iron Man 3. My fellow Americans, my soldiers will destroy your country. You know, it's quiet moments like these when I realize what a superhero I am. Ready? Let's go, time. We're about to change the world. This is bad, Tony. This is what happens when you hang out with me. So yes, Iron Man 3 um, is obviously, if you couldn't tell quite, it's the third in the Iron Man series. It's a bit subtle in terms of that title. Um, it is uh, directed by Shane Black and also co-written by him, who obviously was known for doing like Lethal Weapon and a lot of other like really great snapbacks, sort of creating the buddy comedy we were talking about with Thor Ragnarok earlier, honestly, kind of creating that. And this was sort of a chance for him to do a bigger studio movie after kind of being in a bit of a lump after Kiss Kiss Bang Bang kind of flopped, which was his first directorial movie. And then Robert Downey Jr. was like, hey, you basically helped kickstart my comeback. I'm going to do you a favor and come on to do Iron Man 3, which is an incredibly successful movie. It's interesting. It's the 17th highest grossing movie of all time worldwide. Um, if you don't adjust for inflation, but has had a very divisive reputation because of some of the risks that it takes, that some feel did a pretty good job and some of them think it did a pretty bad job. In fact, Adam, we've talked previously that we might disagree on where that goes. Um, but, you uh -huh. know, this, this is my pick, and despite being in our bad slot technically, this is one I really enjoy. Um, I've 
rewatched it more than most of the other MCU movies, honestly. It's the last time I think Robert Downey Jr. feels tactile in the suits and the action beats, honestly. Because after this point in the MCU, I would argue he kind of becomes a lot more complacent. There's a lot more of just like, hey, can I like touch my sunglasses and have a suit show up on me? Let's do that. <laughs> like, that happens a lot more after this onward. And not to say that he's not trying at all with his own movies. He's still fun. But I think this is the last time I feel like there's at least a bit more of him experimenting and doing interesting stuff with the Tony Stark character. I think that's a big reason of why I still enjoy it, despite I do have some problems with it, especially some production stuff kind of prevented from being the I think the great movie it could have been, but I still think it's a really solid MCU movie myself. But Adam, do you still share sort of an issue with this one? All right. So this is the first time I've seen it since it came out. I don't hate it as much as I remember hating it, but I still do have problems with it. I fucking hate the voiceover right off the bat. I cannot stand the Ben Kingsley thing. I know some people are like, well, it's a risk. It's daring. At least it's something different. I don't care. It sucks. It, 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 was, it was stupid to me. Um, but that may be being a comic fan. But then again, I'm glad they didn't put the Mandarin from the comics in it because that would have been a whole other set of problems. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of issues with doing that necessarily. Yeah. Oh boy. It would have basically just been low pan. I don't know, dude. I don't know that it needs to be as long as it is, for one. And it, just, no, not for me. It's better than, say, Thor 2 or Iron Man 2. Right, because when I talked to you, you said, like, oh, this is my least favorite MCU movie last time. It was. No, it yeah. definitely was. Like I said, watching it again today, going in it, you know, seeing it for the first time in six years, it's not as bad as I remember, but... Let's put it this way. The stuff that I really hated when I first saw it just kind of irked me now. As you can see, we are a divided podcast at this moment. We we have definitely... <laughs> our, our two hosts have a lot of tension between us. Section, two. Section. Well, I mean, that's always there. That's always yeah, that's, there. That's the underlying... Go there or won't think this week. That's the eternal struggle of the show. But definitely, we're at a difference of opinion here. And I remember, Ryan, I knew you around the time that obviously this was coming out. And I remember yeah. you sort of shared a similar sort of issue with it, I remember, at the time. But uh, do you still feel that way now with Iron Man 3? So, coming off of Avengers, when Iron Man 3 came out, I really hated Iron Man 3. There were elements I really enjoyed, uh, namely the everything with Robert Downey Jr. being Tony Stark and his quips and all that. That's all great. It was just, I hate the fake-out death with Pepper. I hate the the everything with Guy Pierce. <laughs> there were so many like little things that just really brought down what was otherwise a really good movie in my opinion. And I tried watching it again when Age Voltron to like get ready for that and I still felt the same. So, you know, when Tom tells me, "Oh, we're going to talk about Thor 3 and Iron Man 3," I'm like, "Fuck, I got to watch Iron Man 3." And I'm watching it, and I guess it's because I've seen so many shitty Marvel movies that I fucking love Iron Man 3 now. Iron Man 3 is the most 180 I think I've ever had with one of the MCU films. It's so good, and going back to like what I said with Thor being shot really well with action, this movie is shot so fucking well. It's so smart and it's so fun and 
I still am not crazy about the Ben Kingsley twist because I liked him way more when he was this Osama Bin Laden type figure. I thought that was really interesting. But then, you know, why not make him Guy Pierce? Sure. Yeah, that's fun. So it's mm-hmm. overall, it, I'm more of a fan of this one than I can say like I am of, of a lot of other Marvel movies. My problem with the whole Ben Kingsley thing and Guy Pierce thing. So you're telling me from all the back in Iron Man one with the 10 rings and all that. Yeah. Originally that was all Guy Pierce is doing. I know they did a Marvel one shot. We're like, no, that's actually the Mandarin is a real person. It wasn't Guy Pierce. Oh, it just feels too little too late. To, yeah, I agree. He set all this shit up for years and years and years and years. He, where the fuck? How did he organize terrorist cells in <laughs> in the Middle East in the first movie? How the what the fuck is going on? It, it's just sloppy to me. Like they either a they want you to forget about it, the shit from Iron Man one and two, or just expect you to fully commit. And I can't because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. See, my thing is like as much as like I'm I was the printing fanboy of this when I decided to put this out here and you know cause huge strife in our podcast obviously i wanted to create trauma tension for our season finale um, <laughs> i i do agree that i have issues less with the ben kingsley thing i i kind of love the fact that we have sort of this character that honestly i think especially would have aged really poorly if he was more of like an osama bin laden style terrorist and i kind of like the idea of we sort of have this villainous character who's like oh he's this like figure that everybody wants to like try and pin all of these horrible issues on when really he's this patsy and it's really more just like, oh, it's white collar crime that's going on in the background and sort of this like background funding at the same time. I like that idea a lot and I think especially Ben Kings does a great job of contrasting that sort of over-the-top villain performance with when he is Trevor Slattery, the actor, I think he does such a funny job at that character. I think he's so goddamn funny, though. Especially the bit where he, like, nods off in the middle of explaining things to yeah. Tony Stark. And just wakes back up, like, oh, a great boat. They got me a great boat. And, and shit like that. I really love all that stuff. I do agree, though, that I think the bigger issue is just Guy Pierce. The way they sort of develop his character, it's basically Syndrome from Incredibles. Yeah, like, pretty much. They want him to be Syndrome from Incredibles, where literally he's like, oh, I'm a printing fanboy, and I love Rebecca Hall and Tony Stark so much. But And then he comes back and goes, hey, I'm stylish and sleek, and I am actually have such a grudge that I hold I don't wear you. fucking socks with my shoes. <laughs> I'm That's... so glad someone else noticed that. I got should... leather dress shoes on, asshole. What a fucking <laughs> Chad. <laughs> that, that should have tipped you off right away. He was a villain. I mean, obviously. that's true. Like, there isn't a single moment of subtlety involving the the Aldrich character, right? Which is interesting, especially finding out in recent years the fact that um he wasn't supposed to be sort of like the main villainous character. Even he was apparently supposed to be like sort of yet another patsy for the white collar crime because it was supposed to be Rebecca Hall's character it was actually supposed to be sort of like the woman behind the man behind this over-the-top silly villain character that they present everywhere. And that was apparently changed because Ike Perlmutter, one of the chairmen of Marvel, and a creepy piece of shit that hangs out with a certain president some of us don't like. Jimmy Carter? No, you're right, exactly. <laughs> that that one, that, that particular president, exactly. That son of a bitch. He helps him build houses for charity. What a piece of shit. But no, but uh, Ike Promarder basically said, like, oh, no, we can't have a 
female villain because that doesn't sell toys. Even though, like, if you actually look at all the marketing toys that they put out for this, it was always, like, Ben Kingsley Mandarin as, like, the, the villain anyway they put out. So, like, what was the fucking point of that? Well, I think it's also because Ike Promarter bought Marvel back when they were bankrupt and he was the, like, president of Toy Biz at that point. <laughs> so he comes from the toy world. I know, yeah, it's weird. The, the history of Marvel's ownership is fascinating before Disney ever got them. You can tell, honestly, with Rebecca Hall's character in this movie that, like, for so much of it, she's built up to be, I think, more of what we're talking about, where, like, there are subtle hints she might be a villain, but she has, like, this charming appearance that comes off. I honestly wish we would have gotten that version of the movie, because as it stands, they end up, I think, setting her up in an interesting way, and then just dropping her in a lame way. Yeah. By the end yeah. Of it. First of all, it would have been a nice change of pace from their, their normal formula at this point to having she, uh, female you know um antagonist but it just again the guy piercing like ryan said it perfect there's not one part in this movie from when he first shows up and you see his fucking feet till anything else he does and you're like this guy's a fucking he's the bad guy there's no question especially with the fucking guy he's got with him who is just so stupid but but the, i don't, I, don't know. I love james badgedale as his main henchman character I no, think he's I, I having agree. a lot of I fun like with that character. It, but I'm saying it's stupid to the point where it's like, obviously he's got this fucking, like, sneering henchman with him. Clearly, this guy's up to no good. If they would have pulled the rug out from you and made it Rebecca Hall, it would have been a not a completely unexpected surprise, but at least not as easily telegraphed as the Guy Pierce one. With his shitty fucking dude bro dragon tats. Oh, yeah, he did have dragon's hats. Fucking hell. Oh. <laughs> he fucking has dragon's hats. Well, he's got them. Uh, but, 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 but what about you, Ryan, on that change? That um, I actually, I agree with everything you guys said. I think that would have been a really interesting change of pace for, you know, the story and the narrative. But my, my, my worry with it comes with the idea of them, like, oh, the Mandarin is Ben Kingsley. Oh, it's actually you know guy appears now it's this like i kind of worry it would almost become exhausting if it wasn't really well done and i i hope you know in that version that it is i just there's no way to know anymore right but but also at the same time what i like about especially rebecca hall transitioning to the thing i love about this movie is um one starting off with blue as your big musical intro in this movie is great to for 1999 amazing but then also like that sequence that sets up like tony sort of like having a one night stand with her and then kind of reflecting back on that as things go along i think this is such a great movie for developing tony stark as a character i would argue because in the earlier movies he's obviously like oh i'm playboy billionaire i think it was especially a problem iron man 2 is they kind of really leaned in on that like i'm iron man i'm awesome fuck you that's that's who i am i'm great and this movie brings him back down to being like the guy who was in that cave in the first yeah. movie, I think in such an interesting way. Like, I love the fact that he doesn't have the suit for most of it, and he has to, like, rely on his wits. He's more of a detective in this movie than Batman's ever been in any yep. of his fucking movies. Um, yep. And plus, I think Robert Downey Jr. does a great job of portraying a guy who was affected by the actual PTSD of being a superhero in an intergalactic situation. Like, all yes. the struggle he has with what happened post-Avengers, I genuinely believe, like, this dude has a lot of issues. And even that, like, he, being Tony Stark with his huge, massive ego, he would do 
stupid things that I think some people have complained about, like, oh, why would you give his address away, like, when he's in front of the press conference thing? I believe Tony Stark would do that under the duress of, like, dealing with all this PTSD that already previously happened, and also his main man, Happy Hogan, being hospitalized. I believe that dude would do something that arrogant and that shitty and end up really paying the consequences for it. That's what this whole movie is about, is him really realizing... I need to stop being a shithead. <laughs> I need to actually care about the people in my life and not be such a fucking ego-driven dick. I mean, honestly, how do you feel about the voiceover? I was totally fine with the voiceover, honestly. I think it, God, it works I as... I fucking hate it. I fucking hate it so I, oh, That's been established. <laughs> you, you mentioned that previously. We were aware. You're doing the voiceover to tell us more about this, Adam. Ironically. <laughs> yeah, You've become everything you fucking hate. <laughs> I hate the plucky kid, too. Oh, fuck you, man. Harley is the shit. Harley is everything in this movie. That is the heart of the movie, man. I love watching scenes between Tony and Harley. How do you hate that? Easily. (laughs) You're gross. (laughs) You're the Age of Ultron of people. You have a dirty soul. I've never liked that plot device in anything. Not just this movie. It just, for some reason... it always just feels like a cheap way to progress a story. Well, you know, um, Ryan, why don't you go a bit more into, like, Tony's character and also, obviously, your love of the Harley kid character, played by Ty Simpkins, who you might recognize as one of the kids who's going through a divorce in Jurassic World, your favorite subplot from Jurassic World. Oh, shit! That's him? Yep, that's that's him. (laughs) Oh, man, Jurassic World just went up three points. (laughs) Now it's at three points. (laughs) Well, first off, I'd like to open this up by saying... The voiceover is great. I think it works. I mean, it's a bit of a crutch from a writing standpoint, but I believe it as far as what's going on, and I feel like it it gives it a nice change from the other two films, and I I like it. Uh, As far as the Tony arc, uh, I, I like it a lot. I think you see his growth throughout the film, and I, as you said earlier, I like that it's not really reliant on the suits you see that you get to see him engineering shit and relying on being smart and creative and that's that's what makes tony awesome is that he is so smart and that he is an inventor and you know focusing in on those aspects of his personality are are really wonderful to see portrayed on film yeah, I mean, I I really do agree that I think it, it relies so much more on him and his wits, and also even with, like, I can agree that the plucky kid stereotype in other movies I think can be annoying, but I will, what I like is the fact that I don't think Ty Simpkins comes off as an unbelievable kid. I think he isn't, like, in a lesser movie, he'd be like, oh, hey, Tony, I can engineer a suit, too. Look at me. I'm also pretty... Kids rule. Nickelodeon. Gak. <laughs> All that shit. Um, it, it could have come off a lot more, but I think he comes off as a kid who yeah. is starstruck that Tony Stark is in his fucking basement, which is great. And I think he has that sort of charm. And also even has, like, some bits where he tries to play off the cuteness of it. Like, probably my favorite comedic bit in the whole movie is where Tony's about to drive off. And he's like, but I'm cold. I'm like, oh, I knew that too. You know why? Because we're connected. And then he drives off and, <laughs> and types worth a shot and all that shit. I think that really works because I think, like, he, he never comes off as, like, a kid who is ever, like, completely 100% confident in himself is kind of, like, in a similar state, honestly, to Tony at this point. That's why I think they bounce off each other so well. And even the fact that Tony doesn't treat him with, like, kid gloves. He just talks to him like an actual person, 
which yeah. I think makes like their dynamic back and forth work really well, which is what Shane Black does a lot of the time. I think like some of his other kids in other movies, I think have portrayed in a similar example of this would be like, I'd say the nice guys, which would be his follow-up film to this uh, Ryan Gosling's daughter, I think has yeah. a great rapport with him and also feels like a kid raised by like a shitty dude who has like one liner quips and stuff. But at the same time, is you know still like feels like a kid feels somewhat grounded and especially i mentioned this before but like robert Downey jr actually still is doing shit and is actually in parts of the suit at certain points and actually is like especially the whole sequence that occurs in the kid's hometown where he's being chased by the one extremist soldier through like the like the bar or whatever and like, tony's actually like moving around you see robert Downey jr like covered in glass and shit it's the last time where i feel like he actually put a lot of energy into a performance as opposed to, I'm going to make some quippy things and, like I said, touch my sunglasses, I got a CG suit on. <clears throat> well, I'd just like to say, uh, it was a good year. And, uh... <laughs> 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 I mean, you, you two fucks can go ahead and believe whatever you want. Uh, and that's fine. That's your opinion. You're entitled to it. But, uh, fuck that kid. Fuck the voiceover. And, uh, that's it. So, I mean, where are we at with that now, gentlemen? Civil War is breaking <laughs> out, you guys. <laughs> Which side do you stand on, Brian? Me? I, I'm clearly with you, man. Thomas Maniano. <laughs> you gotta sign the Sokovia Accords, Adam. You gotta sign them. I ain't signing shit. Dude, I'm totally <laughs> Spider-Man. This is fucking dope. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mariani, I don't feel so good. Oh, no. <laughs> He's getting into dust. <laughs> oh, so much is happening this episode. But, I mean, Adam, do you even agree with us about, like, the Tony Stark arc at all, at least? Do you think that at least somewhat rings true? I do. I, I really do like the PTSD. At first, I didn't. I don't know why I didn't, because I just was not into this movie at all but no after watching i really do like that angle that's not something you've really ever seen before and i do like that he returns back to the tony basically that we get in the first one i don't mind arrogant tony stark either because it makes sense because that's really close to the source material as well but in the second one he was so egotistical and arrogant to where it's like you can't even really get behind him you know, he's a fuck, just a jerk off the whole time. Mm-hmm. But no, I do like that he became more grounded. I do like that it shows that he is, Tony Stark is actually kind of a fucking badass, even without the suit. Like, he straight fucking parkours his way through a fortress. That's pretty <laughs> great. Yeah, I love that. It's pretty yeah, great. It's pretty awesome. Oh, God. We, fucking Pepper Potts. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, fucking Dude, hell. that fucking fake out death is the worst. It's so cheap. But Phase 2 is so, full of that so, shit. Do they establish that Extremis makes you a fucking kung fu expert? Because <laughs> that's what happens to her. What I, I, see, what I actually like is, I, I would agree with you guys more like the last couple times I watched this, but I think watching it this time especially, what I like about Gwyneth Paltrow, especially earlier on, she feels like the pepper pots that I really liked in the first movie where she's just like, you know, Tony, I, I love you, but this bullshit has just got to stop. This just keeps going on endlessly and you're putting me in danger and all this other shit. But then later on when she gets injected with extremists, I think it's less that she's like extremely expert Kung Fu and more of, she's just like wild and abandoned. She doesn't have that much control over this. Like, especially after she kills Killian and then she's like breathing and she's got the one arm on. She's like, Oh, God, that was violent. I didn't anticipate this. I actually really like that. I think it shows that she can is capable of at least, like, being, like, you know, this 
force that can try and fight against somebody, but she also doesn't have as much control as these other people, and that makes her a bit more vulnerable. And I think that really works, especially for, that is the moment where Tony's just like, man, I need to stop doing this as much, and I need to, you know, calm down on building the suits and all this other shit, and that makes everything explode and the big fireworks and all that other stuff with all the other suits. I, I really actually like the Pepper Pot stuff. Even with the fake-out death, I've just seen them do that so much worse with, like, right after this is Thor, the Dark World, where they do that with Loki way worse like, oh, yeah. way more stupidly. And they've done another, even, they just did a movie, Adam, that was all about fucking a giant amount of fake deaths that aren't gonna mean anything. No, I, I 100% know it. I just found it so funny that after the Infinity War, people are like, I can't believe they killed Black Panther. Nope, there's no sequel, Adam. There's, there will not be another sequel coming. Nope, nothing's gonna happen. It's a fucking research, asshole. Uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home. That's a fake movie. That's not. That's right, not coming yep, out this year. Doesn't season. exist. Doesn't nope. Exist. That's why. Not a thing. The liberal media. They're lying to you. <laughs> fake news. Um, fake news. It's. It's. Uh, I don't know, man. I'll tell you what, though. His whole resolution to not tinker around so much and focus on Pepper didn't last real fucking long, though, did it? Oh, yeah, yeah that's yeah. a big problem I have with the other fucking Avengers movies, because you know what? I've heard some people say, oh, you know what, Iron Man 3 failed the MCU. Nope, the MCU failed Iron Man 3. I agree, to go to to do such a big, you know, change of character, and you know, it's such a heavy blow to his ego and everything like that, to where he's willing to settle down and focus just on Pepper to the very next movie, He's got, like, nanobite technology. He spent a lot of time still tinkering and shit. And even it's a throwaway line. Yeah, well, you still wear this a lot. Well, yeah, it's just kind of, you know, fuck it. Like, get the fuck out of here with this. It's one of those things that, like, I don't hate Age of Ultron as much as you guys do, but I definitely, that is my hugest issue, is the fact that I could have seen, if we had built up to Tony Stark coming back to Iron Man in that movie, if he was didn't have the nanobite stuff immediately, and he was like, nope, I'm not, I can't go back to that, I'm I can't do this, but he's like, all right, finally, like the Sokovia thing, I gotta put the suit on for once, but having, at least building up to that point would have worked as opposed to, he's in that suit, like, I think 30 minutes into that movie, (laughs) just like, fuck it, it doesn't matter. If, no, in the, in Age of Ultron, are we talking? Yeah, dude, opening The movie starts with them in the Oh, you're right, the stupid, like, yeah, Yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, fuck it, yeah, just doesn't matter, opening scene, everything's fine. doesn't matter. Age of Ultron's full of that shit, though. They sacrifice so much character development from all the characters just so they can do stupid shit and talk to a dumb robot and listen to Elizabeth Olsen's great Russian accent. (laughs) (laughs) But we felt so bad about Kick-Ass dying, Ryan. We felt so bad. Oh, dude, have you heard the rumor that Endgame's going to bring him back? Yeah, I've heard that, and I'm pretty upset yeah. about it. Like, I guarantee cares? you they're going to. Everybody who's died is coming back. I'm, I'm so you. fucking done with the MC. I, I, I make this pledge now. If uh, that uh, happens, <laughs> I'm out. No more Quicksilver. I don't want this. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. They, but that, but that's the thing. Like we already said, that's what they're known for doing at this point. The stakes don't really matter. I agree with both of you that the stakes in this one, if they would have just followed through with it, could have potentially been like completely game changing for at least the Iron Man character. I mean, this could this could have been a perfect. Even if they didn't want to have Iron Man go forward, they could have stopped right here. Yeah, you know, I just had Tony Stark and then War Machine or however the fuck you want to do it. But which, nah, you know, 
By the way, I do want to bring up briefly, though, I also love how they use Don Cheadle in this movie. I, I think it's too. like, where he's initially a government stooge in the Iron Patriot armor, and especially the bit where he invades like, that sweatshop, and he's just like, um, you're all free if you weren't previously. <laughs> no, <laughs> other like, I, I think that's great. And then, when he hops out of that fucking Iron Patriot suit and punches that dude in the face, it's so dope. I think it's the last time they really used Don Cheadle well, because even, like, it, I, I really love Civil War, but they also just kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm War Machine, I'm here. Uh, Tony, I'm right. your man. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's all they use him for, really. And especially when he gets to team up buddy cop style with Robert Downey Jr. in, like, the third act of this movie. It's so fun. The two yeah. of them bouncing off each C- other. It's- Civil War is completely, you know, oh, Captain America's got his black guy. I better bring mine. Like, Unfortunately, no yes. Point. Yeah, that's 100% <laughs> what it is. But, uh, no, he's kick-ass in this, dude. I mean, he just, I love the scene where he, he just dives through a fucking window. And shoots two, like, fully trained men who also mm-hmm. have guns, and he gets them before they do. He's laying on all that glass. He's probably cutting himself up. Poor bastard. But he's... <laughs> no, Don Cheadle's used perfectly in this one. I think this is the best use of him post, obviously, him taking over for Terrence Howard. And I don't think we've gotten anything close to this one again. Absolutely. Yeah, especially my favorite bit of banter is when the two of them are, like, going over to, like, the big climax, and like, oh, hey, uh, how many guys are out there, Tony? Look over. It was too fast. I couldn't see anything. Yeah, look over again. You... <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Give me, all right, yeah, let me get a suit. Uh, actually, no, these are all coded for me. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan was talking about this earlier. There are a lot of great action set pieces. It's like, my favorite would probably be the airplane set piece, where, like, all the guys are falling out, and Tony links them all up, and it's like, oh, it's like Barrel of Monkeys. It's all everybody team up together. That's a great example of, like, a fun superhero actually, like, saving everybody style yeah. scene that works really well, and it's really well shot, and you really get the tension that's going on throughout all that. Like, even though in the back of your head, you're like, they'll probably make it out of this fine at the same time, you're still, like, invested, because, like, it's so well put together. Even before that, with, like, James Badge Dale, who I really like as the henchman character, just kind of busting around and has, like, the extremist stuff going through him. I, it's so well put together, with the perfect exclamation point of the suit getting hit by the truck, and then it's like, oh, wait, Tony was doing this remotely. Great. I love all that. <laughs> I like that James Badge Dale's wearing the captain's hat. Yes, that's really funny. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny to me. But, but what about Ryan? What was your favorite action set piece here? Oh, easily the attack on the Malibu mansion. That is so fucking well done. And from the minute, like, the suit takes Pepper out of the house, it's 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 all just so good to the fact the suit comes back to him. And then, like, he's being dragged down by, like, cars. It's just fucking chaotic and insane to think about and so so well shot i mean you have the darkness from the depths of the water to like this beautiful like sunset that's going on and what about you adam what's your favorite action set piece the the storming of the mansion i think is so fun uh just his little homemade gadgets especially like the electric glove i think it's so funny and you know especially grabs the guy on the top of the head and does it like jesus fucking christ and like and he's just straight up killing guys in this by the way yeah which is fine. I have no problem with it. It's just so against character. And, uh, yeah, that's why I like it so much. It's not about hero stuff. It's good old-fashioned revenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that's very true. They, they established that pretty handily. Um, but I guess let's go into our final thoughts, then, on Iron Man 3. Um, you know what, Adam, you start. Uh, I mean, I'll keep it short and sweet. Fuck that kid. <laughs> and fuck the voiceover. No, it's not as bad as I... 
as I remember it being, but Guy Pierce, get the fuck out of here with this. Why does Guy Pierce not get better work? Like, he's actually really fucking good. It's just, it's messy. This movie is very messy. It, it, it tr- does try new things, and I'd argue most of them don't work. But it is easily the best representation of Tony Stark slash Iron Man since the original. And probably still. We'll go with that. That's at least somewhat positive. Uh, Ryan, your final thoughts. I fucking love it. It's so much fun. Uh, It has the best child actor in the entire world. It has the worst viewer in Adam. And uh, it's it's just all around a really good movie. It's solid and and really fun. Yeah, I'm definitely obviously more in the Ryan camp. It's it's close to like the top five with like my MCU rankings. It's around where Thor Ragnarok is, honestly, in terms of oh, just like I, it's, no. it's 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 around there for. Well, guess what? Hey, fuck you! You had your final thoughts. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, I, I really dig this a lot. I I think it's uh, very underrated. I think in terms of the overall MCU movies, and I think it's like I said, it's a movie that works so well at continuing and closing off a lot of Tony's arc that it disappoints me so much when we've seen him show up later and kind of phoning it in, quite frankly. And I would say Civil War was the last time that I really like liked Tony and thought he Robert Jr. was super engaged in it. But elsewhere after this, it just it's sort of like... Yeah, that's... I'll agree. You know, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Good yeah. point. But otherwise, I think, yeah, he's definitely just kind of phoning it and not quite doing that great. But I think it's also because there's a lot more room for him to, like, have a lot more fun, bounce off other characters, um, a lot of great side people. We didn't even mention, like, William Sadler as the president, great 80s character <laughs> actor, um, Miguel Ferrer as the VP, um, RIP, Miguel Ferrer. And also, a really underrated scene I've really dug, especially this time, is when he's in the news van with Adam Pally. And he's like the, the big super fan. Like, oh my! I'm, I look. I have my tattoo, and I I look exactly <laughs> like you. Uh, my my hair isn't that procked in it, but it's almost, like those are the moments where it feels like Robert Downey Jr. actually is getting to do a lot more fun, different stuff with Tony Stark character than what they've done previously. Even with the kid, even with I think a lot of the great action set pieces in here as well. Um, it's a not just a really good Marvel movie. It's also a really good Shane Black movie too. And um, you know, as much as Predator didn't work that well for a lot of reasons um i still wish he would at least get to do more movies uh just maybe shane a word of advice stop uh, hiring sex offenders that might work out better for you yeah maybe, probably yeah that might not get you in so much trouble or but then... more who knows <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> right, go the complete opposite <laughs> just end the episode right there <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoyed a year of devil at shuffle bill and all the fun <laughs> and laughs that we've had it's the final episode now we're canceled um, but, but no, that's the end of our discussion of our two MCU movies here, but, uh, we got some feedback to read. We ask you all over at the, uh, Double Edge Double Bill Facebook and Twitter page at DEDB Pod about what are your favorite and least favorite examples of these movies, and we got some feedback from you, including friend of the show who's been on previously, Jonathan Habden McHale says, my top two, Captain America Civil War and Black Panther, my bottom two, Iron Man 2 and The Incredible Hulk. To be honest, The Incredible Hulk is the only MCU movie that that I fully dislike and think is a legitimately bad movie. Dan Chainbow says, I love Thor Ragnarok. I've yet to see Thor The Dark World, Captain Marvel, and Age of Ultron. I heard two out of three of those were garbage. 
Um, James Rodriguez says, Avengers Infinity War is what happens when a decade's worth of planning nears its end and the results are brilliant and unforgettable, whereas Iron Man 2 is what happens when you have an advert for upcoming films in a feature-length form, where Tony urinates in his suit and Mickey Rourke wants his board. Mark Anthony King II says, uh, Black Panther and Guardians of the Galaxy movies are my top MCU because both have given me an out-of-this-world experience with so much emotion, care, and some genuinely funny moments. The Incredible Hulk is just, well, falls asleep. Um, Brian Kane says, Thor Ragnarok is a blast. It's the best side role Goldblum has had in a while. Um, I personally never gelled with the Winter Soldier. It struck me as a dumbed-down Mission Impossible, which seems like it would be a difficult thing to do. Uh, Luke McBride says, Captain Marvel was shite. Nate Thomas says, best Winter Soldier, Infinity War, Guardians 1, Black Panther, and Ragnarok. Um, worst Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, and Age of Ultron. And then Tyler Thompson says, the Hulk movies have to be the worst universally, right? Does anyone believe Edward Norton was a good fit? Hmm. Okay. Uh, eh, Dan, two out of three, you are wrong. All three of those are shit. Um, <laughs> Brian, uh, you know, come on, man. Stop, stop it. Winter Soldier, I, I, I love Winter Soldier personally, but again, personal opinion. But I think Winter Soldier is... Is a, definitely a high point for me. And then the rest are, I think, kind of universal across the board, except for uh, uh, Ryan not liking Black Panther. I think the rest is pretty much agreed upon across the board, wouldn't you guys say? I, I like Incredible Hulk. I kind of like Incredible Hulk as well. I don't yeah, hate it that much. It gets way too much shit. It's not good. It's just not no. worth hating. It's entertaining. I mean, yeah, there's way worse MCU films. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I'd say... It's, I rewatched actually Thor The Dark World before I watched Ragnarok, just because, like, I haven't seen this since the theater. I might as well actually give it another shot. Um, mm. I don't like it, obviously, still at this point. Um, but it, it's actually well shot, I will say. And also, there's some fun bits and pieces with Loki, especially there. But ultimately, yeah, it's, it's very forgettable. I think that's the thing, as we talked about this earlier. Most of these really bad ones, quote-unquote, are just very forgettable, underwhelming movies. Um, I will say, I remember with Incredible Hulk, um, I remember liking that a lot more around the time, and now upon rewatching it, um, one, the effects are terrible. Hulk with, with the, does look ridiculous. Right, especially compared to, like, the first Iron Man, we talked about how, like, they did such a great job of, like, I think the CG still holds up pretty well with that, and also the practical stuff that's there, versus that Incredible Hulk design is so ugly, and looks yeah, so bad. poorly rendered, and the whole <laughs> fight with fucking him and Abomination in Harlem is dumb. <laughs> it's it's I, I personally do not like that one very much. And I would say only short of Iron Man two, I think it's one of my least favorites there. But that's also saying, like I said, it's still just forgettable and quaint and whatever. Honestly, the most interesting stuff about Incredible Hulk is all the weird behind the scenes shit and also all of the stuff of like how it doesn't really fit into the MCU except for weird points. Like, hey, let's get William Hurt back. Yeah, Why not? Mark Ruffalo has the throwaway line I believe in the first Avengers where he's like yeah, last time I was in New York, I kind of broke Harlem. Right, yeah, and they even reference like, the deleted opening about, like, I swallowed a bullet and he spit it out. Which yeah. is really weird. It's like, why are we referencing Batman <laughs> at the same time? And I, I would personally say they definitely did a wise choice in getting Ruffalo, for both production reasons and also casting reasons, I think. I agree. I really like Mark Ruffalo. But, but what about you, Ryan? Any of these takes that hot enough for you? Uh, no, these are all hot takes. Uh, I'm happy to see my boys Jonathan and uh, James Rodriguez in here, and Mark Anthony King the second. I agree with uh, Luke McBride when he says Captain Marvel is shite. It is pretty shitey. I agree. Um, 
I I don't agree with uh, Nate saying Iron Man t- uh, three. Sorry, I almost said Iron Man two. <laughs> Iron Man three being the worst. Uh, I this is supposed just... to be a really big hot take. Like Iron Man two, best of the MCU, guys. Yeah, the you know what, guys? I'm saying it right here, right now. Iron Man two, he pisses in suits. It's great. <laughs> he wants his boy ten out of ten. Dude, I, I don't even hate Iron Man 2. I'm just kind of indifferent to that one. Yeah, I'm anything. the same way. I don't hate it. I just don't give a shit about it. I, I love Justin, though. Justin Hammer in the film is is really fun. I, I like watching Sam Rockwell play off of uh, Robert Downey Jr. I would I wish that we would sort of have him come back of anything of that movie. I would I would I think he deserves a better chance at yeah. that part. Like, a, something more fun to do with that part. And you know what? I don't want this to be, admittingly, uh, an episode where it's three white guys talking about how much they hate Captain Marvel, necessarily, because <laughs> I, I guess I'm the guy who likes it the most, and by likes them, just like, I thought it was alright, kind of forgettable. Yeah. If, if nothing else, my biggest problem with it is it kind of has a bit of Iron Man 2 syndrome in terms of, like, we're trying to establish so much ahead of Endgame. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even then, there's stuff that I really like. Like I like how they use the scrolls in that movie. I, yes. I do. I do like some of the action sort of set pieces that go on with her, like when she's barefoot and like going around in the spaceship and shit, or even when she's like running down people in the subway. Or her chemistry with Samuel Jackson, I thought was really good, and the, and the CG used to de-age him. I thought there was a lot enough stuff where I'm like, I like this movie fine, but at the same time, it's definitely in the weaker echelon of MCU movies for me. Yeah, I messaged you when I said. It's not terrible, it's just that Black Panther has a really boring companion to hang out with now. <laughs> well, I remember the thing is, when you messaged me about it initially, you almost had like an identity crisis, because you've been messaging yeah. me so many times about how much you're like, oh man, Black Panther, so overrated, blah blah blah. And then Captain Marvel, like right after you saw it, you messaged me like, man, you know what, maybe I was too harsh on Black Panther, maybe I need to yeah. recollect something. And then the next morning, you like messaged me like 6 in the morning, just like, no, nah, fuck Black Panther, I like Captain Marvel slightly more. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, I was at work and I stopped doing my job to like message you. I'm like, no, nah, I figured it out. I know how I feel about things. Oh, that's that's what I love about you, Ryan. You have to like, you have to really come back to tell me like, no, I'm still trolling. Let me keep trolling a bit. I, I, you, I will troll till I'm dead. I mean, that's what we'll put on your tombstone. Is like he died trolling. That's that's what he yeah, did. Dude. Um, but at the same time, also, I think just just with the Captain Marvel thing, it, it, it also had a bit more to do with just kind of, I felt the same way I felt about with, like, 2016 Ghostbusters, where it's like, so many people put so much on that movie, either side, about just, like, bullshit, especially, obviously, the people doing stupid troll stuff about, like, women, blah, 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 all that crap, yeah, that's, yeah. that's really dumb, that's really stupid, but at the same time, you can still criticize the movie and have a lot of issues with it, that's not yeah, the problem, absolutely. just, like, don't be addicted to Brie Larson. She's yeah, fine. no, Brie Larson's fine. Yeah. She's not. She's not really the problem. It's it's more no. the writing and, and directing. I feel like uh, I like you said. I love the stuff with the scrolls, and I I I see Brie Larson as having real potential, and I look forward to seeing her when she's with other directors and writers. <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing. Also, is apparently she shot Endgame before she did Captain Marvel, so that's oh, going to be fascinating. That's going to be fascinating to see how she sort of, like, the differences in the character. Maybe we see a bit more of a whole version of her from, like, her initial start, and this is more kind of backtracking with the first Captain Marvel movie. I'm I'm very curious to see, especially how they kind of handle her in Endgame. Because my biggest problem with Captain Marvel, honestly, is just how they kind of, like, 
overpowered her so much that it's just like, are we just gonna have her, like, defeat Thanos very early on? Or are we gonna give her more of an interesting struggle and make her more of a three-dimensional character? I think the script allowed her to be. I hope Thanos just looks at her and says, you know why it's called the cockpit, and she turns to dust. (laughs) Like, just right there, just dust. (laughs) Well, uh, thank you for all that feedback, and we also want to thank some uh, other people um, who helped us with the show for all this, these years, uh, for all this year. Jesus, we haven't done this for years yet. It's felt like it. Um, thanks to Chris Oliver for the intro and outro used for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarda for the art. Uh, she accepts commission at Fiverr with two rs.com slash ee scarda. And thanks, of course, to Mr. Ryan Quarterman. Uh, Ryan, did you have anything to plug before we skedaddle? Uh, nah, just follow me on Instagram. Uh, it's Ryan underscore Quarterman, C O R D E R M A N. And uh, all lowercase. Yes, it's a, he's a fun follow for all the weird things that he does. <laughs> it's it's pretty fun. But we also want to encourage you all to follow us on uh, Twitter and Facebook, as we said, at DEDBpod, where we'll put out our feelers, usually on Monday, asking you, like, hey, what are your favorite and least favorite of whatever topic that we're doing? Usually we post those on Monday. And uh, also you can email us, uh, bill, all spelled out, at gmail.com. Um, and also, I'm on my own individual Twitter account at not the who's Tommy, um, and I also do some writing at marianitomas.wordpress.com. And I also want to give a shout out to I did a guest appearance on um, a mutual friend of ours, Ryan uh, Zach Hayward's podcast, uh, Zach Man yes. Forever, uh, where he talks about Batman Forever each week, and he's planning on doing that for about a year. <laughs> Uh, God bless him. Um, but I, I went on there to talk about the entire filmography of Joel Schumacher, which is a very interesting discussion. You can find that on iTunes or Spotify. That's Zach Man Forever is the name of the podcast. Um, and also, I want to thank, and if we can get a bit mushy here, um, I, I want to thank Adam Thomas, because usually we would do some sort of silly bit here, but... Um, as much as we joke around, as much as we also are at each other's throats at points, Adam, I started the show in a bit of a duress state. I just left another show, and I really wanted to do something that was my own, but at the same time, I needed somebody who could also be a good support for me and also can have bring his own perspective that I really respect and I really cared about. And I'm really glad that I had you on dude, to do this for as long as we have now and for as long as we can in the future. I, I appreciate every single time you come on that's a genuine thing for me here i'm i'm really glad you've stuck around with me oh thanks man yeah i i uh i appreciate you thinking of me when you first started toying over with the idea of getting your own show you know and uh i can't believe it's already been a year and uh, we get to keep doing it <sighs> just waiting for the royalties to come in but still we'll, we'll keep going and uh no i i do appreciate it and uh thanks man i really i really do uh enjoy it and uh i look forward to it every week Yes, as I'm sure you all do out there, so make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and rate review us to give the show more visibility. (laughs) It's a bit more than 12. There are dozens of them, Adam. Dozens. I listen every week, man. Don't worry about it. (laughs) You fucking liar. (laughs) Uh, For for sure, for sure. But we are not quite over just yet because uh, we have our picking to do for the first episode of our second year. Yes, we uh, are in honor of uh, Detective Pikachu is coming out the week we're releasing this particular episode. We are doing the topic of video game-inspired films, which... To be clear, um, it's not just video game adaptations, because Adam and I talked about this when we were brainstorming this episode, and it's like, hey, how many good video game adaptations are there? And we were very silent. 
for about 30 yes. seconds, and we couldn't quite... So I have is... a wealth to choose from. Right, because you have the two bad picks, and I have the two good picks of movies that at least are inspired by a video game aesthetic, if not video game adaptations, obviously. So we're going to go ahead, and usually we would do a number between 1 and 10 for each of us, because you have two good movies, I have two bad ones, and we've each assigned those two movies numbers between 1 and 10. And usually we would each pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to get the closest to whatever our good or bad feature would be. But since Ryan's here, uh, Ryan gets to be handed the gun like Tony Stark and storm this particular palace and pick these movies. So, Ryan, for my two good choices, number between 1 and 10. Six. All right, so actually, at number five, I had um, a film from 2010, very inspired by video games in aesthetic. It is Edgar Wright's Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh, right, huh? Okay, I'm not mad at that. What was your other fucking choice? Well, at number nine, I had one that was inspired especially much more by early video games because of how early this one is. 1983's The Last Starfighter. Oh, man, that's a good one, too. Yeah, you had good choices. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> well, that's, it's good yeah. for me and bad for you. So now, Ryan, for Adam's two bad choices, number two, one and ten. Four. At number two, I have Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. Oh. <laughs> With everyone's favorite Chris Klein. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah sorry, man. <laughs> at, uh, at number nine, I had uh, House of the Dead. Oh, at least we avoided an Uwe Boll joint. Okay. We did avoid an Uwe Boll choice, man. I'm surprised. I could have easily had both choices be Uwe Boll. <laughs> that was the thing that kept me awake at night. It was my Tony Stark PTSD. It was just like, oh, two Uwe Boll movies. <laughs> uh, for sure. But uh, thank you, Ryan, for helping us out and picking them choices. Yeah, thank you. Yes, so uh, that's the end of our episode. Thank you all for staying as long as you have for a year now. Hopefully we're doing this for as long as we can. Um, But until then, guys, we have to assemble. Let's assemble. Long live the tooch.